2: Council to President Trump,
1: Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Monday. And for those who have celebrated Independence Day all week last week, uh, I wish you continued celebration of freedom and liberty in this country and why we celebrate our independence and our liberty and freedom. And of course, we as Christians need to properly define those terms and understand our wonderful blessing and privilege that it is to live in the United States of America. Um, The the 4th of July is always one of my absolute favorite holidays because uh, we all come together not just for barbecues and uh, celebrating summer, but understanding uh, really what an inheritance it is that we can I have our Declaration of Independence, our U.S. Constitution, and a government that is built on the recognition of truth and the premise that our rights come from God, our creator, not our government, and it's the sole purpose of government to preserve and protect Our rights, and as we continue to talk on this show about truth in community, our definition of politics, and looking at and analyzing uh, issues of our day and uh, laws in our country and how uh, morality should work in a moral and upright society. It's always good to take a few minutes to uh, to step back and to look at the purpose of government as the Bible talks about it, and then also uh, go through what our supreme law of the land actually says. And so, um, as I had mentioned uh, before the the July Fourth uh, week, we're going to be starting um, a, a really a Constitution series on this show where I want to take a segment most days, you know, kind of depending on. The news of the day, because we definitely want to talk about uh, what's going on in our civil society with newsmakers, with uh, experts, and we're going to be uh, discussing a couple of cases uh, that uh, and, and rulings that happened over the last uh, week with uh, my next guests over the next segments. Um, but when we can and as we can, I want to uh, take a segment or two daily to uh, talk about some of these principles and then go through our U.S. Constitution and give you the tools and the education to be able to analyze uh, things that are going on in our law, in our society, in our culture, in our government from a biblical perspective, but also a constitutional perspective. And those things actually um, aren't and shouldn't be inconsistent. It's only when our government goes uh, beyond its limited authority or beyond the scope of what our declaration recognizes as being premised on truly the authority of God, that then laws become immoral or amoral or uh, tyrannical. And so, uh, for those of you who are listening who joined us uh, this weekend at the Marriage Family Life Conference, um, it was such a a privilege to be there with um, about 1,300 uh, uh, people from across the country and uh, talk about um, living the Christian life. And so, I, I spoke Saturday morning, and um, and it was great because um, you know the the, the conversation was, uh, well, why are we talking about politics at a Marriage, Family, Life conference? And why are we talking about government? And why are we talking about uh, the AFA action arm and uh, what we do here at AFA and what um, this organization has done for so many years, uh, which has been such a blessing to so many? Uh, Well, because part of the Christian life and preserving and protecting the biblical definition of marriage and family and also life— revolves around understanding the biblical definition of government. And that is so important because a lot of Christians will tend to think that our faith intersects with government. And we have some touch points on things and issues that may concern us, like, uh, for example, the the pro-life movement. I think all of us are concerned about that. Uh, we've become concerned uh, over the last few years, especially about parental rights in education, what's actually going on in our schools. Uh, we've become concerned about uh, the LGBT agenda as we should and and what uh, laws are promulgating and advancing that agenda that are wrong. Uh, We've all been very concerned about what goes on in Washington. Hopefully we're concerned about things going on in our states. Uh, My former home state of Colorado is a great example of that, where uh, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which I think is just a modern day star chamber, um, basically, that tries to use an anti-discrimination law to persecute Christians for our sincerely held religious beliefs and also our uh, opinions on conscience issues and faith issues and and all kinds of things. Uh, Several cases now that have gone to the U.S. Supreme Court um, and also courts, you know, that even in other other levels, the lower courts, not uh, necessarily getting to the Supreme Court, have originated out of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. You're all familiar with Masterpiece Cake Shop. We're going to talk in uh, later on in the program about 303 Creative, uh, which was a website designer uh, that originated out of Colorado and saying that uh, you know, she didn't want to create a website uh, f- for a marriage that would be for a homosexual couple. And that was against uh, her free speech and and her conscience rights. And and all of these things are issues that matter. But what I want to change your perspective about and what I told uh, attendees this weekend at the MFL conference, and if you get an opportunity to see, um, I think it was recorded and, and I think there are going to be, you know, DVDs or an online presentation, whatever. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the more robust conversation But what I wanted uh, to tell the the attendees there that I also want to reiterate to everyone uh, listening this morning is that we can't look at government and our faith as separate and just intersecting almost like a Venn diagram where there's some overlap, but only on things that we care about or only a kind of buffet style where you go to a buffet and you kind of pick and choose how to create your dish, right? And so we have to look at this from a biblical perspective. So what does the Bible uh, actually say about a uh, civil government and what does the Bible call the Christian to do in terms of our lives because we when we are in Christ, then we are directly assenting to the full counsel of God. And we know doctrinally that the Bible is sufficient, inerrant. It is a fully God's inspired word. And the Bible gives counsel for how to live our Christian life. Um, actually, very little of the Bible is how to become saved and come into a saving knowledge of Christ. Um, it does give the full history of uh, the span of the law and, and how we became fallen and and then our need for um, a Messiah, or need for a Savior. And it gives that full arc of of history, or as, um, as, as we like to say, his story, and how God has moved throughout history. Uh, but the Bible is also the full counsel on how to live the Christian life. So when we're talking about marriage, family, life, well, life is the Christian life. And no matter if you are married, have a family, or or don't um, I mean everybody's part of a of a family they're born into um, but regardless we all no matter what your circumstances are we all live the Christian life and Second Timothy um, verses sixteen uh, chapter three verses sixteen to seventeen says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So it's it's saying all scripture is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is the knowledge of God coming into uh, a saving knowledge of God as the person of truth, but then also understanding further how to live the Christian life um, and how we grow in a knowledge of our Savior. And so we have to continue to grow in grace and knowledge so that we can work out our faith and we can continue to live according to Scripture. And then it says, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so um, reproof and correction are actually two different things. Um, Reproof would be the, the, the admonishment of you're going down the wrong path. I'm, I'm reproving you or exhorting you to say uh, you're going to, you're headed the wrong direction. So that's the reproof of saying no. That's that's a wrong view of God. That's a wrong action. You're living a wrong lifestyle. The uh, you, that type of reproof, and then correction is getting back onto the straight and narrow pr- path. So how we correct and modify our behaviors, our attitudes, our thoughts. Um, our, our feelings, um, everything that we are according to the correct straight and narrow path. Uh, my mom, who is actually a marriage family life counselor, will always say um, our feelings and our emotions simply evidence what we're thinking. And are we thinking truthfully and correctly? And when we are, our emotions will line up. And so the, the left totally has it backwards where they say, oh, we need to, however you feel, you just go with it. You know, the heart wants what it wants and follow your heart and all of those, you know, uh, Disney cartoon kind of things of like, you know, total emotion and, and all of that. Well, our feelings simply evidence what we're thinking is true. So for example, I mean, if you're, if you're angry at something, it reveals that you believe you were wronged. If you find out that you weren't wrong then you're not angry anymore, right? Um, or if you are hurt by something or you, or you fear something, fear is often a lack of knowledge because it's an unknown. So you don't know the outcome and so um, you're, you are in fear. Um, and, and that's obviously different than being um, afraid of something that is known. So when we correct our path, then we are in line with the Bible and with scripture and with the person of truth and our feelings line up with truth. So we have to be thinking rightly. We have to be thinking according to profitable doctrine. And then it says, so um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and then for instruction in righteousness. We can have all the passion in the world for Jesus and all, all of the emotion at church on Sundays. But if we don't have instruction in righteousness, how do we think we can actually live a Christian life? And obviously we're not going to be perfect. All of us sin daily and we have things we have to repent for. And we have to continue the reproof and the correction, the instruction in righteousness. And hopefully that's why we're part of a church um, and why we're part of um, accountability in our family. Hopefully within the family context Uh, we can encourage each other to good behavior. But we have to understand how to live the Christian life. And that is also true, then, for how we live our Christian life in the context of civil society. Does our government allow us to freely exercise our faith without fear of persecution, without Experiencing things like what Jack Phillips, the cake baker, or uh, the website designer, when she was concerned and afraid that that she would be punished by this modern day Star Chamber because of some uh, ridiculous, immoral anti discrimination law. So government is the context in civil society of how we live our lives, and so we have to understand that government isn't just when we want to participate like a buffet. Government is something that we, the people in the, in the context of the United States of America, actually get to select and prefer our leaders. And Proverbs says, when righteous are in, the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And we can see that in the petty tyrants that uh, have been in our nation and the difference between the petty tyrants versus the Christians who have been in authority. So we're going to continue to talk about government, about the role, the responsibility of the Christian life, and what the Bible says about government in context and how we live out our Christian life. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Welcome back. And as we are talking about living our lives uh, according to our sincerely held religious beliefs and having uh, the government not compel us to speak things that we fundamentally disagree with, which is, of course, the uh, other side of the First Amendment that uh, hasn't been as frequently talked about, we all uh, know that the government can't prohibit us from speaking things that we want to say in the public forum and um, and so forth. And, uh, and the First Amendment protects the freedom of speech. But it also protects us from the government uh, compelling us to speak affirmatively things that we disagree with. So, for example, the government could not tell me, Jenna, this is what uh, you can and cannot say – on your radio program, and obviously um, that's not unlimited. Um, there are civil uh, types of of laws and responsibilities um, for things that, um, you know, obviously the there's there are things like defamation laws. There are things um, you know that the the FCC controls in terms of profanity. You know, some of those things. But I'm talking about big picture ideas, philosophy the government isn't telling me, Jenna, you can't talk about the biblical worldview on your radio show, or you have to talk about government in the best light, and you cannot criticize Joe Biden, for example, or you can't criticize uh, your government leaders, or you're a traitor, you know, that that kind of thing. So, um, so this has become very important in the context of of a case called 303 Creative versus Alanis and that came down um, the Friday before the 4th of July weekend uh, and it was the last case actually that the Supreme Court issued in uh, their opinion over this term. And I want to bring in my special guest, our good friend Ron Coleman, who is an amazing uh, First Amendment lawyer. He is a practitioner with the Dillon Law Group and also the host of Coleman Nation podcast. Uh, Good morning, Ron. Thanks so much for coming back.
0: You're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a gorgeous day here in New Jersey and uh, a little bit more gorgeous than it might have been if the 303 case had gone differently, I'll say that.
1: Yes, for sure. I think all of us were uh, were very pleased with how this opinion read, and of course, this was around a uh, graphic design business, 303 Creative. And for those who aren't Colorado natives like me, uh, 303 is is the area code that most of us are familiar with. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's that's I, I think the. Origin of uh, her business name, but 303 Creative uh, LLC, which um, was to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. And Lori Smith, who's the owner, uh, was concerned that Colorado would use the Anti-Discrimination Act to compel her in violation of the First Amendment to create websites celebrating marriages that she does not endorse or agree with. And so to clarify her rights, she filed a lawsuit seeking an injunction to prevent the state from forcing her to create websites celebrating marriages that defy her belief that marriage should be reserved to unions between one man and And one woman. And uh, so so that's kind of the backdrop. And the holding, um, Ron Coleman, was that the First Amendment prohibits Colorado from forcing a website designer to create expressive designs, speaking messages with which the designer disagrees. Uh, But this isn't obviously limited to just a website designer or website creator. This was a very broad, excellent opinion on the right to freedom of speech for all. So um, so what is your view of, of this uh, case and why you say it's a great day in New Jersey because of it?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it is one of the few times during the recent years when the Roberts court, instead of taking an incremental approach as it did with the uh, with so many cases including the sort of lead up to these cases which is the various uh bake the cake cases that uh, that also came out of Colorado um where the court spoke broadly and really drew a very bright line saying this entire idea of 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 state mandated speech, expressive, particularly expressive speech, uh, simply won't fly. And and the only reason to be a little bit less than totally excited about the outcome of this case is the fact that there were actually three members of the United States Supreme Court who joined in a truly preposterous and uh, sloppy and non legal non legally reasoned uh dissent.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so true. I mean the the three justices that uh that basically uh just gave their opinion that wasn't uh, grounded in the first amendment or in uh, any sort of law it was just we we want to compel uh people to affirm a a gay marriage was essentially what it said. And then they didn't really have a basis for it. And that is scary to think that um, the composition of the Supreme court can so easily determine uh, what the, the interpretation of the constitution is. And if we didn't have the current sex that held rightly, Um, for freedom of speech for all, then we might have had a very different opinion. And, you know, this is why elections matter. This is why judicial appointments matter. And, you know, in the dissent and and even in some of the headlines, Ron Coleman, um, it was was laughable, but also remarkable to me that a lot of people were characterizing this as, you know, an anti-gay decision. And that was just ridiculous to me because I'm thinking, no, this protects anybody from speaking what they believe. And if, and if somebody b- believes that marriage can be between two men or two woman, women, women, this, this case and this opinion actually upholds their right to speak that and the freedom basically to disagree, which we all have in the United States. But of course, you know, it's framed differently in the mainstream media and the outrage, right?
0: Right. And I think there are two important observations. One is that the dissent really disregarded the not only the facts but even facts that were stipulated uh, which you know for non lawyer listeners, which is the majority of regular human beings uh that means that these were facts that both sides agreed were not subject to dispute. And one of those facts was that the uh the plaintiff was not claiming a right to discriminate against gay people uh, in whom she would serve. If, if, a, if a gay couple or a gay person or a gay organization wanted to employ her services, then she would make a website for them. But she wasn't going to make a website whose content she objected to. That's number one. And, and number two is, it's a little, you know, it's distressing to think that the, the dissenters are not only three members of the Supreme Court, but they're among the younger members of the Supreme Court. Um, But, you know, here, here we are. You know, I, I think, Jenna, the, one of the troubling things about that dissent is, or, or about, as you put it, as, as you observed, the, the media reaction and the way this, the, the narrative was framed by the, by the usual suspects is that the reason they never recognized that they could, that if their position, if adopted, could be used against them is that they never believe they're going to lose power. They never believe they're going to lose political mm-hmm. power. In, in particular, you know, with respect to with the state of, of Colorado, They believe that they have achieved a sort of permanent blue status that laws that are patently unconstitutional will continue to be passed. And and that's uh, something that, you know, is a strategy that has become remarkable in the last few years, is that especially at the local government level, where people tend to notice things a lot less, Obviously, unconstitutional laws such as this one uh, that was as the one that such as the one that were challenged um are being passed, and the guess is that this will never make it to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court takes so few cases so there are there's a you know there's a lot to to worry about unfortunately i mean if you really ha- have faith in god then you you don't you don't worry you you can you can plan and you can you know you can do your do your best to prepare for challenges but a, a person really should should go to sleep every night knowing that that everything is in god's hands uh, i wouldn't suggest otherwise but um
1: we have a lot to it, work on it was a, it, it
0: was a remarkable decision and it really came out strongly in the, in the right direction.
1: Yeah, but but I think your point, Ron Coleman, is uh, very well taken that, you know, as much as we are celebrating this opinion, uh, we still have to make sure that it doesn't later on down the road get overturned or diminished uh, through any other uh, laws that never end up um, challenged in the Supreme Court or by a future court that is more likely to usurp uh, and, and and misplace and misinterpret the first amendment and not protect an individual's right to speak um, his or her mind, regardless of whether the government likes the speech or considers it sensible or as the Supreme court said, you know, well-intentioned or deeply misguided or likely to cause anguish or incalculable grief. You know, it's like so many people in the, uh, in the media were saying, well, this is going to offend so many people. Well, okay. So what, you know, um, that's, that's not, the uh the parameters by which we view whether or not speech um is is can can be prohibited under uh the first amendment and so um so i think that that's really a good point and also um you know it is important as well that as you say you know the stipulated facts here are really that um, the plaintiff in this case wanted to in, um, engage in protected First Amendment speech, and Colorado, this the state, uh, sought to compel speech she doesn't wish to provide. So this was all about the content of her website and the the content of her speech, not the person she was serving. Because, for example, um, someone could come into her. A shop and say, I want to create um, a website for my friends who are getting married. And if that was a heterosexual union and she agreed with the content of the website, she would make it regardless if the person, the identity of the person paying her or actually uh, asking for her services. And so when the left and the media are framing this as somehow, you know, anti-LGBT, that's totally ridiculous and that's not what this case was about it's all about the government not being able to compel an individual to speak messages or create content that they disagree with that their that their name is on and I don't see how uh, that is in any way something that the left should condemn or be afraid of but I think Ron to your point uh, the dissent really does think that Democrats in the left will continue to stay in power. They'll push uh, the LGBT agenda one way or another. And um, so so where do we go from here in a very sharply divided uh, society that obviously this case was good for everyone and for the First Amendment, but the left isn't going to stop? I mean, so where do they go from here when this case has now uh, been handed down?
0: it's a it's an it's a good question because it reminds us that the constitution is a bulwark it, it it is you know the supreme court is the court of last resort and our constitutional rights are me- meant to be bedrock statements of of our of, of, of the extent to which government will not interfere with our liberties but they're not a replacement, neither of them, neither the Constitution nor the Supreme Court, can be a replacement for thorough political engagement uh, up and down the system with the executive and legislative branches of government. The courts can't save us from the deterioration and subversion of our social and political orders only we can save ourselves from that people have to be aware of of what kind of laws are being passed and jenna just in the last week we've we've been hearing about a rash of state legislatures and governors that have signed uh, laws involving in which parents are school boards and school authorities are being Explicitly authorized to encourage and assist, not only encourage and assist children who want to become transsexuals, so-called, but to keep parents out of that discussion, to, to actually prohibit wow. them from interfering and to authorize schools to mislead parents and fail to inform parents of what's going on with their children this is horrific and you know going back to what we said a couple minutes ago they're banking on the likelihood of judges either not hearing these cases for the foreseeable future or agreeing with them and rolling on this sort of
1: yeah. Well, and Ron there. Coleman, we, we got to leave it there, but I so appreciate your commentary. And this is why we have to engage in politics and in our civil government to make sure that we continue to hold the line fast for our rights. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: As we are talking about the First Amendment, uh, largely today, if you want to hear more about the 303 Creative case and want to spend uh, more of a deep dive into that, you can go to uh, this week's Christian Outlook from Salem Media. And I joined uh, my pastor in Colorado, Gina Geraci, who hosts uh, Crosstalk in Denver. And uh, on the Friday that the 303 Creative opinion was released, he and I did an hour on his radio show talking about the 303 Creative case. And so uh, that is on podcast form. If you just uh, Google Christian Outlook or uh, you can go to their Twitter page, uh, but you can find that with Gino Juraci and me. And uh, we, we continue to just talk about um, the implications of that decision. So we'll continue to talk about the First Amendment and another very important case uh, that was led by the states of Missouri and Louisiana. A federal judge has blocked the Biden administration officials from contacting social media companies in a landmark order targeting government censorship and suppression of online postings. This is according to the New York Post summary. And the U.S. District Court judge, who is a Trump appointee, determined Uh, last Tuesday that the White House likely colluded with big tech to censor-protected speech during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'd like to welcome in my good friend Josh Hammer, who is an attorney, the senior editor at large, and host of the Josh Hammer Show on Newsweek, and a syndicated columnist, and all around um, just really good uh, legal mind. So Josh, um, I thought that this was a really great opinion, and uh, looking forward to the progress of this case.
2: Yeah, Jenna. Always a pleasure to join you. So this was a huge deal. Uh, I mean, it's kind of it kind of flew under the radar, to be honest with you. At least in many of the circles that I tra- trap again, because it came kind of in light of the kind of fast and furious end of the Supreme Court terms. So people kind of saw this and they were like, "Oh, this is like another legal case. Like, who cares? We have these amazing victories in affirmative action and three or three creative." And I, I am totally not downplaying the magnitude of these amazing victories, which I've also spoken and written about elsewhere already at great length. But the point is, this is something absolutely worth focusing on. So you have a 155-page preliminary injunction from a, a judge down in Louisiana. So the, the background here is that this is a lawsuit that was jointly filed by the states of Missouri and Louisiana. Jeff Landry is the exceptional attorney general of Louisiana, and Eric Schmidt, who is is now the junior u.s senator from missouri he, he he was the attorney general there so he worked with his counterpart jeff landry to file this lawsuit and they basically allege that there was mass coordination between the biden administration between the white house itself between the department of homeland security the fbi health and human services and maybe a few other agencies uh, including the fbi but those are really the main actors there was mass coordination on a weekly or bi basis between top people in those departments and the big tech companies like Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, as well, and basically the whole purpose of this of this coordination communication was to tamp down on so-called COVID nineteen misinformation, disinformation, and things like that when it comes to vaccines, math mandates, and many of us kind of really thought that this was true because you you could kind of see it if you if if you really were just looking with both eyes open we all saw jen saki then the white house press secretary at the white house press podium back in july 2021 who was actually openly bragging about the fact that she was coordinating with facebook so they weren't doing a very good job of hiding this and sure enough in this 155 page ruling from judge dody in louisiana the evidence is there. I mean, we have seen the evidence that is, that thankfully this is what litigation does. Jenna, you're a lawyer. You know this. We, we, we get to discovery and we kind of see the emails. We see the redacted communication and we, we see that what Louisiana and Missouri have alleged actually happened. And it's a really, really, really big deal because we're finally, finally, finally beginning to crack the nut of how to stop this public-private censorship that comes when the federal government basically assumes the role of censor by co-opting the technology companies. So it's a huge, huge deal, and it's a massive, massive vindication right now for free speech. Obviously, we have a ways to go in the litigation. We'll see what happens on appeal, but for now, it's definitely worth celebrating.
1: Absolutely. And and I couldn't agree more with that analysis. And I think, um, in part, this flew under the radar a little bit because uh, the opinion, whether intentional or not, by the judge was uh, released on the 4th of July, which um, I thought, if not Intended you know where, where the judge uh, put it out on the Fourth of July, it's at least a little bit of of irony uh, to say that you know he was going to put out this hundred and fifty five page opinion on you know the very day that we're celebrating our independence and freedom from government tyranny. Um, so, so I think, you know, a lot of people were more focused a little bit on celebrating the holiday than they were watching the news or, you know, listening uh, to radio or, or things like that. But, um, but I, but I agree with you, Josh Hammer, that this, this case and the trajectory, which you and I have been following. And, um, for those who want to hear more, I had, uh, Eric Schmidt on when he was still the AG, uh, multiple times on my podcast. You can still find those at the Jenna Ellis Show.com, uh, talking about the discovery uh that they that they did get in this case that has now led to this 155 page opinion and um and moving forward how uh this this is so important for the first amendment because you know this case it, the, the fundamental premise here is that the government can't co-opt A private sector company and just uh, and basically use them as a pass through to say, well, it's a private company that's not governed by the First Amendment. So if the government is simply telling these social media giants what to suppress and what is or is not misinformation, according to the government, then that's fine, according to the First Amendment, because. Uh, the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. And so so they can't have that type of uh, collusion and cooperation. And the judge actually wrote in this case, uh, this targeted suppression of conservative ideas is a perfect example of viewpoint discrimination of political speech. American citizens have the right to engage in free debate about significant issues affecting the country. The evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. And yet, Josh, uh, the Biden administration, as you mentioned, has been you know fully open with the fact that they think th- they can do this constitutionally or they just don't care about the constitution, which I think is more likely. And the White House's response to this decision was, wow, we are you know, we are just trying to combat the proliferation of misinformation. And it's like they don't even care that they're violating the First Amendment.
2: Right. I, I, I think the White House is. And the Department of Justice's reaction to this was maybe the most damning thing of all. I mean, this judge has this remarkable ruling literally analogizing the Biden administration's censorship apparatus with George Orwell's Ministry of Truth from 1984. That's not an exaggeration. He literally puts that analogy, that description, in his preliminary injunction And, you know, Jenna, what is the the immediate reaction from the Biden administration, the Department of Justice? They're like, oh, my God, like, how could the judge say this? We're going to appeal. I mean, they're literally appealing. They are literally appealing for the right to pressure companies to censor speech that the government itself, that the Biden administration does not contest. This is an important point, Jenna. The government does not actually contest that the information that they are seeking to suppress would be First Amendment protected if it were simply said from a, a, a sidewalk or, or a different piece of government property. They, they actually openly concede that. It's not like they're saying that this is not constitutionally protected speech. They just take this ridiculously and ultimately unsustainable uh, hard line between the so-called public and the so-called private. And, and the reason that I say that that is an unsustainable line, you know, This lawsuit, uh, obviously Missouri and Louisiana filed the suit, but there's also some individual plaintiffs involved. And those individual plaintiffs are represented by a firm called the New Civil Liberties Alliance based in Washington, D.C., which is headed by one of my absolute favorite legal scholars in the country, a man by the name of Philip Hamburger. And uh, Professor Hamburger had a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal last month kind of laying out this argument that I personally found very persuasive, which is, you know, a lot of people say that in order to find a First Amendment violation in a situation like this, you would have to find that the technology companies are, are, are just public actors, period, full stop, end of story, that they are so heavily coerced and intimidated by the government that they can be subject to the First Amendment and other kind of constitutional limitations. But if you look at the text of the First Amendment, Jenna, and what it actually stops the First Amendment from doing when it comes to free speech— the text speaks of abridging the right to free speech. So the point that Professor Hamburger, who again is leading some of the individual plaintiffs in this very case, Missouri versus Biden, the point that he made, and I think it's a very astute point, is that you don't actually need these private technology companies to become full throttle public or state actors. You simply need the government to put enough pressure on them so as to abridge your constitutionally protected free speech rights. And, I, I, again, it, this is all right there in the preliminary injunction. It's very, very good stuff. And, again, we'll see what happens on appeal, but this is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. It's actually the same court that I clerked on five years ago or so. It's, it's, it's a right of center court. So I, I, tend to be, I, I tend to be cautiously optimistic about this one. It's been, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a whiplash. I'm usually pessimistic about all things judicial branch related, <laughs> but the past few weeks have given me at least some cause for optimism, I guess.
1: Yeah. And isn't that a way better feeling than always, you know, the doom and gloom that we've sort of come to expect from uh, from the court or from uh, the judiciary over, you know, really, I I think our legal careers. And now we're kind of suddenly seeing these amazing opinions that really are protecting Uh, The text of the Constitution and the design of government and the rights that we understand come from God, our creator, not our government. And so it is remarkable, Josh Hammer, that uh, the Biden administration is actually appealing this, like, you know, not just saying, yeah, of of course we shouldn't. collude with big tech and we don't want to censor anybody from publicly debating things of importance and having uh, political viewpoints. And certainly we don't want to discriminate. I mean, it's, it's remarkable and I think completely telling of the posture of the Biden administration that they're actually appealing this and what their arguments are. Um, and that speaks to the level of sheer, um, not just ignorance, but willful ignoring of the role and responsibility of government um, as a whole, but also specifically under the U.S. Constitution and our framework in America. And you mentioned uh, as well the Wall Street Journal opinion, and uh, that that piece, uh, July 5th, uh, is titled, for those who want to go and read it, um, I certainly am because I appreci- always appreciate what uh, Josh writes and also what he recommends. Um, so I didn't see this one, but I pulled it up, and it's uh, titled, A Key Ruling Against Social Media Censorship. Uh, By Philip Hamburger. And um, Josh, in the last just few minutes that uh, we have with this, so this is just a preliminary injunction, but it is important because right now, uh, now the specific actors in the Biden administration are precluded from colluding with big tech in order to censor a political viewpoint uh, but this case has a long way to go. So um, what is the next step for those who want to follow this? And where uh, do you anticipate this trajectory going?
2: Well, immediately, the, the, the parties involved and specifically the federal government, the Biden administration, is going to sue for a stay of the preliminary injunction. You know, basically, what, what that means is that they're going to sue for the right to continue to have their communications with the technology companies until the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals actually issues a definitive ruling on this. And tough to say exactly how that panel, when it gets to that, will rule on on the request to stay the preliminary injunction. We actually just saw this past weekend um, the Sixth Circuit actually did stay a a misguided preliminary injunction in, in Tennessee, when it came to Tennessee's law with respect to so-called transgender surgeries for minors. So in that case, a conservative Sixth Circuit panel did stay a misguided preliminary injunction from a from a liberal district court judge there. So we'll see what happens here. But, you know, again, I, I actually am consciously optimistic about the way this case ultimately plays out when it gets to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, at least a, a, a full panel there. And again, there's always the luck of the draw element here. So in a, case, in a court like the Fifth Circuit, you have you know 15 to 18 judges or so. It, the three-judge panel is quite literally going to be a random draw. But this is, this is a higher-profile case. It's the kind of case that could make it to kind of a, a, a so-called en banc rehearing, where the full court agrees to rehear. It. And in that case, you kind of have to like our odds, the odds on the side of sanity, at least on a court like that. So I I do tend to be cautiously optimistic, but it is a long and winding road. But, you know, it really is a vindication, Jenna. Some of us, like myself and many others, have been sounding the alarm for years now on how the Democratic Party and the ruling class in general has has tried to use government power to effectively co-opt the private sector, the big tech companies more than anyone else, to do their bidding. And it, it felt like many of us have been shouting into the wilderness here, trying to kind of throw out some of these legal theories. And, and there really is some inherent value to having a lot of this validated by an Article 3 federal judge. It's right there now. within the Federal Reporter. People can go ahead and read it for themselves. So it, it really is a, a good day. And I think in many ways, kind of the doctrines are a change in and, you know, the times are a change in, in this field as well.
1: Which is so great. Perhaps a return to sanity. So Josh Hammer, always really appreciate it. And you can find uh, Josh not only in Newsweek, but also the Josh Hammer show. Uh, He just posted... Uh, Today's show, the Supreme Court term is now over, and uh, he is joined by a Sixth Circuit judge to discuss the legacy of Justice Clarence Thomas. So if you're interested in that, go to the Josh Hammer Show. And we will be back tomorrow morning with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning to talk about truth in government and making sure we are preserving and protecting our rights that come from God.